This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Nine. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. 12.03 on a windblown Thursday afternoon, February 23rd. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. The spring home buying season is kicking into high gear. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, being a victim of credit card fraud can be alarming and frustrating. Let's get some help from Matt Schultz, Chief Credit Analyst with Lending Tree in Austin. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Matt, I'm sure I'm not alone with a lot of other people when talking about uh, uh, when fraudulent activity is discovered on your credit card, uh, your credit card company calls you right away or should call you right away and say, uh, did you authorize this purchase? And if the answer is no, the card is shut down. Is that standard operating procedure now for credit card companies or are people still caught with uh, fraudulent transactions unaware? That it's definitely a common thing, but there's no question that sometimes things do slip through the cracks. So a lot of times, unfortunately, the onus really is on the cardholder to make sure that they're keeping an eye um, regularly on their online statements for both their bank accounts and their credit cards to make sure nothing uh, nothing unusual is in there. What happens, uh, let's say you don't get that fraudulent activity warning and you do see some unusual activity on your credit card statement, uh, how can you go about uh, getting those uh, particular purchases uh, taken off your statement and how long does that process usually take? A lot of times it's really quick. Um, a lot of times it's just a matter of calling the 800 number on the back of your card, telling them about what you see, and then they'll just generally waive it. That's one of the big benefits of a credit card versus a, a debit card is that um, is that there's no actual money that comes out of an actual account. So generally speaking, it's a really easy process if you if the charges are really old or if they're really big there may be a little more of an issue, but oftentimes it's a pretty straightforward thing. How sophisticated are credit card scammers getting these days? I'll give you a quick example. Uh, over the weekend, I received a phone call from a financial institution uh, that claimed that a bunch of fraudulent activity had uh, taken place on one of my accounts. I said, thank you very much. I will call that financial institution back. And uh, once I did that, I found out there was no fraudulent activity. They were looking for personal information. Uh, is that a, 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 a piece of the uh, fraudster's arsenal? Yeah, yeah. And first of all, congratulations. You did the exact right thing. Uh, when, when the bank, when someone claiming to be from the bank calls you saying that there's something wrong, your best move is to say, 
great, let me call and let me hang up and call the actual bank because um, that is a pretty heavy, uh, pretty usual tactic. And the truth is that the fraudsters are really smart because there's so much incentive for them to be smart. There's so much money out there and so many people to be taken advantage of. Matt Schultz, Chief Credit Analyst with Lending Tree in Austin. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, look at the uh, home buying and selling market as we head into spring. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The spring home buying season is upon us. Let's see if it favors buyers or sellers. We check in with Brian Wickard, president and owner of Accudet Mortgage in Waukesha, Wisconsin. You hear the commercials every now and then right here on WBBM. Brian, thanks for joining us once again this afternoon. We hear a lot of stories now about how the housing market is starting to show some signs of life and that mortgage rates were easing and that people were more inclined to start thinking about buying or selling a home. Does the reality uh, match the analysis these days? Well, uh, you got to remember one thing. Just like politics, all real estate is local. And so it, you can't trust a, a national news story You know that you read. That's why you got to tune into WBBM. They get Darn the local scoop. Darn tootin'. <laughs> so on the ground, and it's even different, you know, we lend both in Wisconsin and in the Chicago area, and there's a difference. In Chicago, I'd say it's less hot. Um, we're not seeing the number of multiple offers that we were seeing last year, okay? Houses are still going for about asking price, but remember the big variable there is what did the seller think they could ask, right? So that's not always a good indicator, but we're not seeing the multiple offers. In contrast, in southeastern Wisconsin, I just had a client try to buy, made an offer on a $200,000 condo in Waukesha County, which is immediately west of Milwaukee, and uh, there were 10 offers. He wrote 20 grand over and didn't get it. So we're just we're just in a situation now where uh, you're, 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 as the seller, uh, you can no longer name your own price. You do have to do a little bit of negotiating and, and, and attempt to meet the, uh, meet the buyer in the middle. Well, if you're if you're still trying to get, you know, 5% over top dollar, you're probably going to sit on the market and then buyers are going to notice that and they're they're going to make you an offer that's less so. The formula remains you need to work typically with a really knowledgeable local real estate agent to understand what have recent home sales been and what is the demand for your type of property. Also, condition, 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 along with location, continues to be a super important factor. The nicest homes that look great online and are priced right get the most offers. We uh, March to May, that's the spring home buying season. Yeah. How competitive is that particular period of time uh, compared to, uh, let's say, summer or maybe fall? Summer also remains competitive. And now the other element that you kind of mentioned is we had a dip in mortgage rates. We were down to 5.99 on a 30-year fixed rate. Now they've crept up in February since we've gotten this constant drumbeat of good economic news. That means that inflation could stick around longer. And so now we're back up to the mid sixes, 6.625% for a 30-year fixed rate. So that's going to have a slight drag. However, the real problem is listings. 
And I, I think what would really help us is if we got back on that uh, trajectory for mortgage rates to go down, that would make more sellers, more homeowners willing to sell their home, and that'll help open everything up. But right now, still a shortage of listings. The people who are jumping into the market right now, is this uh, a group of uh, buyers who have been have a lot of pent-up nervous energy from the winter, and they want to go, go, go? And and, yeah. and someone who's jumping into the market right now with, with interest rates above 6 are these people who simply need to buy a house because they're they're they've run out of room or their life circumstances have changed? Uh, they're doing it because they have to, not necessarily because they want to. Well, let me say this: there is a big demographic out there uh, called the millennials, and then the group after them is even a little bigger who are starting to come into home buying. So, first-time home buyers, they don't really care what interest rates are, frankly. Uh, when rates were above seven, we still had plenty of buyers. So the motivation to buy is I don't want to rent. That's a big group of people. And then, you know, the first time home buyers. And then another big one is, yeah, hey, we just had our second child and the condo doesn't work for us anymore. I'm working with a couple in that exact situation. And so they want to buy a single family home. The great news is that it is cheap to refi in Illinois. So as we like to say, date the rate and marry the house. So even if you got to close at an over 7% rate, that's not going to be your rate forever. And the forecast from all the smart people, and I'll put myself in that basket too, rates are going to come down this year. It's just a matter of is it going to be you know fast or slow and how much, but rates are not going to stay this high forever. Brian Wickert, president and owner of Accudet Mortgage in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, we'll see if all the excitement surrounding artificial intelligence is being reflected in the stock market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There's major buzz about artificial intelligence as chatbots hit the headlines. Let's talk about the chips that make the technology possible with Matt Shapiro, president, MWS Capital, based in Chicago. Matt, thank you for joining us this afternoon. And whether it's uh, artificial intelligence or uh, eye-popping video game graphics or Bitcoin or social media or the coolest TV in the world, uh, these digital wonders don't happen without the uh, chip companies that make the magic possible. Right. And NVIDIA today, Rob, had earnings. And, you know, in this tough market environment, it is very tough for one of the, you know, the big 10, say, tech stocks to jump 12% on earnings. But NVIDIA did. Um, with beat on both uh, revenue and earnings and a good outlook, which is critically important. And, of course, it seems to be collecting all the enthusiasm of AI and chat GP. And the, the story is real. They, they have the best position with what's called the NVIDIA H100 Tensor Core, which is a GPU, which has become the primary tool for all the AI with trillions of calculations, really candidly surpassing 
the the CPU, which you, you know by Intel, which sort of started the computer age. So we have potentially the new computer age, and Nvidia is at the forefront. Now, obviously, I've seen Chat GPT in action and other artificial intelligence applications, and you, the 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 future implications and applications are disruptive and far-reaching. But how much of this today, Nvidia's uh, uh, performance, is uh, based on a rational look at where AI is going, or is this simply another bubble forming that the people who are falling in love with AI were falling in love with Bitcoin 18 months ago? Well, I, that's a good question. But, you know, it's actually in in use in lots of different things. So, for instance, to solve the problems of self-driving, which is critical, to solve problems of monstrous calculation. So, yes, some of the AI stuff you see seems to be a novelty and things like that. But visual visualization, which had its, of course, origin with NVIDIA and gaming, is becoming the critical component to the most advanced problem solving in computers. Oh, absolutely. You're right. I mean, the the entire, uh, it seems like NVIDIA and other chip makers are well positioned just for the future writ large, uh, not just uh, AI or Bitcoin or whatever a tech bubble may develop uh, here or there along the way. I mean, it's... It, if wherever you're going, the chip makers are going to be there uh, on that journey with you. Um, how have uh, production issues, though? Uh, we know it's been very difficult uh, for the chip makers. A lot of companies having a hard time uh, procuring them over the last uh, three years or so. Um, how has this bit company been impacted by supply chain issues, and uh, how have uh, how has federal regulation or, or legislation benefited them? Well, there is a land grab for all the stimulus and um, investing in um, chip production in the United States. So you see today some of the ancillary um, companies up all the chip. The chip sector has been about the hottest so far this year in the tech sector. Got hit last year, Rob, because of those supply chain issues where they couldn't meet demand, things like that. However, that seems to have balanced out pretty well. Um, and NVIDIA, just, you know, great earnings report, stocks up 12% today in a really tough market with, you know, interest rates screaming at 5%. You really have to do well and execute and be in the sort of the right sector with AI. So everything right now is going for NVIDIA. And it sounds like you have an opinion on their stock. Well, uh, you know, it's come uh, quite a bit from where it was, uh, about 235 today. You know, can it get up to 275? Uh, you know, we're going to just need more time. I mean, people need to be realistic about the recovery. It's going to take more and more months and, you know, better, uh, better outcomes with inflation and things like that that affects all these stocks. But, I mean, you take a win today in NVIDIA, certainly buy it on any pullback. Matt Shapiro, President, MWS Capital, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, the latest on the use of robots in medicine. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. R. Kelly is sentenced for sex crimes in Chicago. We'll get a live update. Technology Thursday will look at how robots are bringing precision and flexibility to surgical procedures. It's getting easier for drivers to access social media and games in their vehicles, but is that necessarily good? 
WBBM Business. The markets are lower. The Dow is down 156 points. The NASDAQ is down 31. The S&P 500 is down 9.5. We have 37 degrees right now in Chicago under cloudy skies. West wind, 20 miles an hour, gusting to 32. It's 12.31. Topic our news at the half hour. R. Kelly appeared for sentencing today at the Dirksen Federal Building in the Loop on sex abuse charges involving three women from the Chicago area who were teens when the crimes occurred. WBBM's Brandon Eisen is at the courthouse and joins us live. On advice from his lawyers, R. Kelly made no comment while sitting in court today as a federal judge. Wade, what additional, if any, sentence would be added to a 30-year sentence Kelly is already serving in New York for counts of racketeering and sex trafficking? The judge, tasked with weighing the nature of the crimes, R. Kelly as a person in his history, providing just punishment, adequate deterrent, and protection to the public. R. Kelly will serve just one additional year in prison with 19 years of today's 20-year sentence to be served concurrent with the New York sentence. Calling Kelly's crimes of sexually abusing young teens horrible, horrendous, and horrific, the judge did see validity in claims by his defense that if today's sentence were to be served consecutively in its entirety, that he would be well over 100 years old when released making the sentence unreasonable paired with statistics uh, provided by the defense showing that the now 56-year-old Kelly will not likely live through his 80s while in prison. Prosecutors had asked for 300 months or 25 years to be served consecutive to the New York sentence. Live at the Dirksen Federal Courthouse in the Loop, Brandon Eisen, 105.9 WBBM. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are lower today. We're joined by Paul Nolte, Senior Wealth Advisor and Market Strategist at Murphy & Sylvester in Chicago. Paul, thanks for joining us once again. When we spoke at 10.20, it uh, looked like the markets uh, were looking for some kind of direction for the day, and now it appears they found it. Uh, there's a little bit of a sell-off going on, and uh, once again, does this look like uh, investors uh, seeking out defensive positions while they uh, figure out what's going to happen with interest rates? I think so. When you take a look at, you know, as we talked about, one of the things that we've been seeing over the last two to three weeks is really kind of a pushback to what Powell has been talking about and the fact that, you know, signs of disinflation are showing up and the bond market took that as, okay, you know, things are going to be cutting interest rates. We're going to go back to zero. Everything is great. What we've got in the economic data is really a little bit more inflation, a little bit uh, uh, stronger economic data, and that's really been the problem now. Interest rates have backed up a little bit. Equity markets are obviously not liking that at all. So we've seen a decline now for three, four days here, and it continues, and it's going to persist, I think, until we do get a break in interest rates. Very interesting uh, item that I saw yesterday. Of course, yesterday was the 43rd anniversary of the uh, U.S. men's Olympic hockey team shocking the Soviet Union at the Lake Placid Olympics, the Miracle on Ice. And somebody on Twitter posted the front page of the New York Daily News from the day after. Uh, the headline, of course, was the hockey team. The second headline was inflation at 18% in February of 1980. And so uh, it puts our problems in a little bit of perspective. Yes, inflation is high by historical standards. It took a severe recession to get that under control. So even if you do have a hard landing, we're not going to go back to the way things were in the early 1980s. No. And if you take a look at that period, we went through a couple periods under Arthur Burns, uh, who was Fed chair at the time, he raised interest rates, slowed the economy and thought, okay, we've got things under control. 
started to cut interest rates. Inflation was not yet under control and had to raise rates again before giving way to Paul Volcker and ultimately really raising rates to to shock the economy. And I think that's where Powell is right now as he's looking at it going, all right, I really don't want to cut interest rates too early because I don't want inflation to come back. I don't want an Arthur Burns redo in the early 1980s, late 70s, early 80s redo on the on an inflation front. So I think for him, he is going to stay uh, on the brakes uh, a lot longer than I think most investors believe he will. Where is the stickiness today uh, in that uh, 6% inflation rate we're looking at? A lot of it is on the on the services side. So if you take a look at manufacturing, anything that's making stuff, real estate, uh, any type of manufacturing, those indicators are in recessionary territory. The services are doing very well. You look at the employment data, where is everybody getting hired, restaurants, service parts of the of the economy. And I'm not sure that, that by hiking rates, it's going to stop you and I from going to a restaurant, the grocery store, et cetera. It's going to stop us from making something because we need to borrow money to do that. So I think that's going to be the tougher road to go because we are so dominated now by services than we were in the 1980s. It's going to be a tougher, tougher road to cut that intro, the uh, inflation rate. Paul Nolte, Senior Wealth Advisor and Market Strategist with Murphy & Sylvest in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, surgeons getting a big hand from robots. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday. Robotic surgery is advancing quickly thanks to artificial intelligence. We're joined by Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, thanks for joining us today. I had a little taste of uh, how robotics could be applied to surgery. About uh, 10 or 11 years ago, there was a uh, medical device show at McCormick Place in Chicago, and you got to to play around with... uh, uh, one of the uh, robot arms that surgeons could use while performing an operation, and you can manipulate microscopic-sized rubber bands and put things together, and it was really cool and really impressive. But now we're talking about uh, removing the human operator and uh, leaving the surgery to a robot. That's exactly right. First, the, the question I have for you is, did the patient survive your procedure? That's what I want to know. I'm sorry, because... but uh, I, I did hit the side of the, of, of the, of the operation. It buzzed, and uh, unfortunately, he, had, he still had water on the knee. Exactly. With all due respect to Milton Bradley, these are slightly more advanced, although the, the, the robot that you were given control of is obviously very advanced. It, just to give people perspective, roughly 3 million knee construction research, uh, surgeries worldwide annually About at this point. About a little over 10% of them are, are completed with the support of robotics. And what that basically means, people are probably going to wonder, then we'll get to AI, but people are going to wonder, how, how does a robot help a surgeon? And essentially with a, with a knee or, or a hip replacement especially, and so, shoulder as well, and when the population ages, more and more people are doing this. But what, what really matters is alignment. In other words, the surgeon has to be consistent when they input, basically, or install the knee or the hip. And there are really huge advantages to having a robot help guide you because the angles are precise or more precise potentially when the robot is guiding that surgery than if a surgeon is doing it him or herself. So that's the big advantage. Um, AI is going to collect all that data that the surgeons are gathering with the robot, 
And ideally, then that's going to refine the procedure, make it faster, less time in the operating room, and better outcomes. That's the goal. Now, uh, my reaction to this is probably the same reaction as a lot of people, and that is uh, when you have something um, as uh, high impact as knee surgery or uh, some type of uh, a joint replacement operation, you do you feel more comfortable with the idea that a, a skilled practitioner who went to school and got a lot of practice is actually performing this procedure. Is, are we looking at a situation you know, but- here where the robot does it and, and the doctor just sits back and is ready to jump in in the event of a problem. Well, let's put it this way. People who dream about AI being infused into this process are dreaming of exactly that, where the doctor sits down and watches or monitors, just as a pilot in an aircraft now. I mean, Boeing aircraft, Airbus aircraft, all have autopilot functions that are essentially uh, AI-driven. They are autopilot, meaning that the computer is running the show, and the pilot is there to monitor in case there's a problem. Um, so that's what they're aiming for. The, again, the outcome is really the goal here. In the end, if they're, then this is really interesting. If the company that builds the robot, and there are basically three main companies at this point who build those robots, uh, Zimmer Biomet being one of them, uh, as well as uh, Stryker and another company called Smith & Nephew, those are the three main ones. And these robots cost $10, $12 million. It's a huge investment for the hospital. But what they're, gain, what they're looking for, better outcomes, faster operation times. And in the end, yes, that is exactly what they're after. Am I uncomfortable with the idea of a robot operating on me? Sure. But I guess if I thought about it, I'd be uncomfortable with autopilot too. So maybe I'll relax. And when I get old enough, I'll have a knee courtesy of some robot. And how does the doctor benefit from this as well? Because one thing I would imagine that not just operations, though, but the one way in which artificial intelligence could probably benefit uh, medicine as an entire practice is that AI can take care of a lot of things that may be seen as busy work to a doctor, giving the doctor more time to concentrate on the more important stuff or the more complex stuff. That's exactly right. Process, it's not just angles. In other words, if you're installing a knee or a hip, uh, yes, you want proper angles so that the outcome's good because alignment is good and all that stuff. But to your point, if the doctor is benefiting from lots of data that suggests, hey, entering the outside of the knee capsule here instead of there has proven to get better outcomes, the doctor doesn't really have to think as hard about initial steps, for example. So in other words, the doctor can benefit from all that aggregated data and make the right moves almost every time. In the end, I still want a surgeon in the room, but having a robot deliver and AI deliver all that information to that doctor, allowing the doctor to spend less time inside my knee or my hip, makes me happy. Okay, my my last question for you, Paul, is, uh, you know, Gray's Anatomy is like in its 50th year on the air. Uh, What's going to happen to all those doctor shows if it's just the surgeon surrounded by robots? I mean, where are the steamy interpersonal relationships going to come in? No, actually, you put put your finger on it. I think basically more time for making out. So those shows will be less about medicine (laughs) and more about about romance. Cut right right to the chase. Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday. And still to come, angry birds could be invading your vehicle. Better roll up a window. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The next generation of Mercedes-Benz E-Class cars will feature a new infotainment system that offers a wide range of options, including TikTok and Zoom. Let's learn more from Matt Jones, spokesman, True Car based in Los Angeles. Matt, thank you for joining us this afternoon. 
And uh, for for many years now, people have used the front seat of their car to. Uh, you know, they talk about there's a dashboard confessional. Well, it's it that really is the case now uh, for a lot of people who record uh, Instagram videos or Facebook rants or TikTok performances uh, while they're behind the wheel of their car. So Mercedes Benz apparently said, "Let's meet you in the middle." So tell us about this infotainment system. Well, I think it's great. I mean, considering how much time people who are work from, you know, remotely from work, you know, or who don't work remotely, they spend in their cars commuting. I mean, it makes great sense, you know, to be able to play some video games or watch Zoom videos now again, uh, or, or TikTok videos. This is supposed to happen while you're parked. But it sounds like a great way to keep people who are in these vehicles involved and, and maybe build some brand loyalty a, a, along the way. Because when was the last time you played a video game on the dashboard of your car? Uh, I, I have not because, uh, Matt, quite frankly, uh, when I'm in my car, uh, my radio is uh, welded to uh, AM 780 or 1059 FM. And uh, if it's plugged into a hands-free system, I'm listening to WBBM on the Odyssey app. So, uh, and I imagine everybody else is as well. But uh, I would too. Now, now the reality is, though. I mean, we've had DVD players in cars, digital entertainment systems in some cars for a very long time. It is a way now to entertain your kids while you're on the road. Is that? where this particular application is going to wind up. It's not for you as the driver to play Angry Birds, but it's uh, for the kids to play a game instead of saying, are we there yet? Yes. On the outside, uh, my first take would be actually it is to keep your passengers occupied. But, you know, at True Car, we did a study uh, about people's relationships with their cars, and a lot of people see their cars as more than just transportation. It is their place away from home. It is their solace. It is their safe space where they can get a little bit of thinking done. And so when you consider that people also go to their cars like a refuge from work or from, you know, from home, um, it does make sense that these car makers would want to make it a little bit more inviting so people would feel like they want to spend a little bit more time in. Now, when we think about the DVD players and such, yes, they have been for the passengers, but car makers have been trying to gamify uh, the process of driving, gosh, for at least 15 years, you know, putting little video games into the dash to give you points if you're a more consistent, better driver, if using better fuel consumption. So, you know, this is probably just the most overt that we've seen this, but I certainly don't think that this topic is going to go away. I think there's going to be more and more to come. Matt Jones, spokesman for True Car, based in Los Angeles, talking about the new Mercedes-Benz infotainment system. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.